the entire world. Yay, that sounded so old English. I am from uh, the motherland, if you don't know that. Um, long ancestors ago. Yeah. But the whole world needs to know about freedom in Christ. Because the world sees Christianity as enslaving. You can't do this, you can't do that. And that mindset has crept into the church. So we, all of us, need to learn or maybe need to relearn or just be encouraged. If you understood it and you're living it out, just to continue to live free in Christ in Galatians is what's going to help us. Uh, the reason I choose the word freedom is it bookends uh, the, the, the uh, letter. And so in two, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, and in 5, 1 and 13, you get this word freedom that's used there. And that's Paul, that's what he's talking about through all the book. The book and, and another word that's bookends is truth. And so you could say the message of the book is the truth of the gospel frees us from our sin to live as God intended. So if you're here today and you're having financial struggles, uh, the gospel actually will help you understand how to view money and how to live in this world. And it will help you understand your financial uh, problems and predicament. If you're here, and you have marital problems. Uh, the gospel the, the entire picture of marriage, a man and a woman joining together under the headship of Jesus Christ, is a picture of the gospel. Christ and his bride, the church. More on that in a minute. Uh, and so if you're having marital struggles, if you're having parental struggles on how to raise your kids, we don't want to just raise little obedient children who just obey because they don't want to be spanked. Right? We want to raise kids who understand grace and understand authority. And they are little kings and queens, as Audio Adrenaline has been singing. And that they go out in victory and in freedom. And so this is not a freedom without boundaries. That's what people don't understand when they talk about freedom. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, if you're a hockey fan, that's the, way, that's the hockey star I know. I'm sure there are new ones today that are better or close. But he's the great one. And he has got more freedom on the ice than said pastor because he's disciplined himself within that arena. He can go out and do on the ice things I could never do. He's got freedom to do that. But he's not just completely free. He's got to be on the ice and in the ice skates. You get him on a track and we'll talk differently. But freedom is something we all long for. It's what our country's built on. But I want to show you over the next 13 weeks what true freedom is. And so I would ask you, if you were to come expectantly, come consistently, and come believing that God's Word literally, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13, it's not up there, but just listen to this verse. If you believe this, I believe the book of Galatians will change your life. It says, you, for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you receive the Word of God, that's what this is, this whole thing, it's called the Word of God, it's called the Bible, which you heard from us and you accepted it, not as the Word of men, so this is not just a book penned by 40 men. This is a book uh, penned by 40 men under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which, here's the key, performs its work in you who believe. So if you believe that this is the word of God, if you believe that this is the truth, if you believe that there are no errors in this, if you believe that this is God speaking directly to you, I assure you that your life will change over the next 13 years. Now, it's not going to change overnight because we can get this uh, intellectually. We can understand it. But when you start to apply this, this is where it's really going to take root. 
And so we're going to be looking at the gospel, not just for the next 13 weeks, but it's my conviction from the Lord that for the rest of this year, for the rest of this year, we're going to be looking at the gospel. What is the gospel and what is its implications, not only for unbelievers, but for believers? I was brought up in a church, and I think many of you were as well. You were brought up in the church and you think the gospel is for the unbeliever. Once you come to believe in Jesus, that's the gospel. But I want to show you from this book, and we're going to look at the Beatitudes later on in the year, that the gospel is for the believer. It is the supernatural grace of God evident in the spirit-filled life of love. That is what the gospel is. It's supernatural, and here's a little chart you can see. It's supernatural versus human effort. It's grace versus merit. It's spirit-filled versus human power, and it's love versus selfishness. It's supernatural. It's from God. It's not us. We cannot work for our salvation. It is all of grace. It is not that I did so many things. I attended church so many times. You know, 52 weeks of the year, if I can just get there, 27, right? Percentage-wise, I'm in. That's not how it works. It's Spirit-filled. The Holy Spirit, when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart and lives with you forever. And it's about love. That's how the world will know we are His disciples. It's about our sacrificial love for one another, not a selfish desire to achieve and earn uh, our own life and our own power and our own glory. Man-made systems to get man-made praise. That is not the Gospel. And so today, I'm going to pray and then we'll just look at nine verses from the book of Galatians. And I hope, it's my prayer, it's what I've been praying all week, that lives are changed, that you, you'll start to view life differently. You won't, uh, some of you will continue to do the same things you're doing, but you will do them with a different attitude. You'll do it through a, a different perspective, a different paradigm. Some of you may say, you know what, I need to stop this and start that. So let me pray. Father, it is good to be back with family. Not just uh, physical family, but with spiritual family. And your word, as we will discover today, talks about the spiritual family. And it's good to be here with them. And I pray as we look now at the first nine verses of the letter of Paul to the churches of Galatia, I pray that our hearts would be impacted. I pray that we would never think um, the same about the gospel. Give us uh, hearts to receive this. Give me words without error to preach it. Let all of us see where this needs to impact our own lives. pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Little Alice had a parrot. She had saved up her money, went and bought the parrot from a pet store and brought it home. And the parrot didn't speak. So little Alice took the parrot back to the pet store and asked the owner, well, the the parrot isn't speaking. What, what should I get? And so he says, oh, here's what you need. You need this ladder. Huh, okay. So she took the ladder, went and put it in the cage, and no speaking. She goes back. He said, possibly a mirror. The parrot will see itself, and then it'll talk. Nothing happens. I know, a swing. Parrots like to move. They'll swing back and forth. Nothing happens. She goes back. Parrot's probably just missing that it's, it's in a cage and it's not free. Uh, so maybe we should give it a mini tree to kind of give it the effect of, of living in the outside world. Nothing happens. 
ladder, mirror, chair, tree, shiny toy. If we go and give this parrot a shiny toy, the parrot will speak. So after about six weeks, uh, this parrot dies. Little Alice goes back to the pet shop owner and, and shows him the dead parrot. And the pet shop owner asked, did he ever say anything? She said, yeah. Right before he died, the parrot says, does that pet store have any food? The parrot had everything except for one thing. The parrot had all the incidentals except for the one thing that was essential. Can that happen to us? Can we live in a crowded cage and pack in everything, the ladder, the swing, the shiny toys, the mirror, and forget the main thing. That's what we can do as individuals, and that's what we can do as a church. C.J. Mahaney said some of the most obvious truths are the one that we need to be reminded of most, and that is why we're talking about the gospel, because I believe in my own life, and maybe even in some of yours, that we can get so caught up in all the other things about the Christian life and all the other things about church, we can forget the main thing and we need to be reminded of it, the gospel. The gospel is not only the most important message in all of history, it is the only essential message in all of history, said Jerry Bridges, who is of the Navigators, lives right here in Colorado. And so what could be crowding out the gospel and Jesus Christ in our life? What, what, is, what are our lives centered on? That's what we're going to talk about. Because the gospel, beloved, is not just how we enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is how we live in the kingdom of heaven until Christ returns to come and establish his kingdom on earth. And what has happened, I think, in the Christian church is we, we get in and we forget the gospel and we get up going about performance-based, achievement-oriented, uh, if I obey, God will love me, but it's the exact opposite. God loves me, therefore I want to obey. It's a different paradigm shift. So turn with me to Galatians 1, and we're going to look at the first nine verses. And here's what we're going to see in those nine verses. Actually, let me just tell you about the book. The book is about the gospel. The gospel changes lives. That is the personal impact. You're going to see that uh, next week. You're going to see how the gospel changed Paul's life. The gospel is about grace. Paul is going to be talking to churches. He's not giving an evangelistic message uh, in the uh, Agora there in Greece. He's talking to the churches of Galatia because the same thing had, had crept into that those particular churches and has happened to today as well. This is about grace. And the gospel then is evident. People can see it. People can see it in your life. And so what's going on in this book is there's social and racial division. Question, who's better? And there's secular and religious confusion. What is right? Doesn't sound like much has changed today. And so what we're going to cover today is we're going to see the true gospel, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to see the unique gospel, verses 6 through 9. Let's begin here in verse 1. Paul. Who is Paul? He didn't have to say Paul anything else. He just said Paul. It's because they knew who he was. He was the guy who went and planted these churches. My note here says he planted them in several different places. Iconium, Lystra, all up and down the southern part of Galatia. 
And he just had to say Paul and they knew who he was. It would be like if you were to go to the Vail Church, all, all the guy would have to do when he was writing a letter, he'd just say Craig. And they'd go, oh, it's Craig. Or uh, Calvary Edwards. What is it? Just one word, right? Tommy. And the people there who attend that church who are under his uh, care would know who it is. And that's what he says. He says, Paul. See, Paul is a historical figure. And that's the first thing I want you to know about the true gospel is the gospel is historical. We can actually go back outside the Bible and we can see people talk about Paul. He's a historical figure. These aren't just little stories that are made up to kind of give us something to put on a flannel graph in Sunday school for our children. Paul is a historical figure. And then Paul says something about himself. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through the agency of man. Or as some translations say, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers, or all the brethren who were with me, to the churches of Galatia. Now there's a lot going on in that, those two verses there. Not only is the gospel historical, we can go back and we can verify. By the way, if you're here today and you don't think this is the true word of God and you think, well, maybe it contains errors, let me just do a personal little apologetic for the Bible. Uh, The Bible is the most um, copied book in history. So we built our government off famous works like Plato's Republic. And there are not any copies of, of any of the ancient literature, or not any original documents of any of the ancient literature, only copies. Of the Republic, we've got about 300 copies. Of the New Testament, we have 25,000 copies. And they're off if you miss like an A. Like instead of an apostle, it just say the apostle. So where it's off are on things that don't matter to salvation and doctrine. This is the most reliable book in history, yet it gets critiqued um, as if it were not um, credible. It gets critiqued as if it it contains a lot of errors. It gets critiqued, oh, there are so many people that wrote it. Yet if you go and you talk to somebody who says they believe in evolution, my new conversation I'm going to have with them is, where did you learn that? Well, in a book. Well, which book? There's so many books being written on science today. How can we know that they're all true? And get them to try to defend their position as they would try to get me to defend my position. How am I known to believe in Dr. So-and-so with Ph.D. after Ph.D. and all that? How do we know that's true and this is not true? And then what they would do is, unsuspectingly, they would work themselves into, well, we've got to go back and get verify these facts. And, and I would say that's exactly what I'm doing with this. It is true. It is the Word of God. And so it is not from, what, look what Paul said, it is not from man to man. Paul said, not from men nor through the agency of man. It's from God to man. In fact, Paul went, we'll see this next week, from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel. And so he comes with divine authority. He is an apostle. He is one sent with authority. He's one sent on a commission. And look what he's talking about. It's through Jesus Christ and God the Father, God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. That is the point of the gospel. Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried in the grave three days. And he rose again. He sits at the right hand of God until God says, take him home. It's a done deal. It is good news to be preached. It is not a discussion to be debated. 
And unfortunately, that's crept into the church. Well, we can't really know the gospel. We don't really know Jesus. You know, Paul's a little different. We start getting into these odd discussions about the Bible. But if we take it at its face value and we read it for what it says, it tells us right from the beginning, even in this letter, we don't need anything else, though we could. It tells us right here. Here's a human being, Paul, sent with divine authority to communicate a word that is true and credible. And look who he writes to, or excuse me, who he's writing with. And all the brothers who are with me. Paul, as far as we know, didn't have, we don't know about his physical brothers. What he's talking about are his spiritual brethren. And so the gospel is not only historical, but the gospel is transformational. It can take a persecutor of the church and make him a preacher. It can take one who doesn't have any spiritual family and it forms a new family. And look who he's writing to, to the churches of Galatia. It can create new local communities who are to be the voice of God on earth and they're to live it around, live it out for their neighbors so that their neighbors go, wow, there's something different going on here. It's divine It's a new family and a local community. And here I want to show you in the next three verses the simple gospel. And it's the third thing I want you to know. Number one, it's historical. Number two, it's transformational. Number three, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So show it to me. Let's look at verse three, four, and five. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I chose the New American Standard today because I want you to see the strong word that Paul, that Paul uses in four that's best presented in the New American Standard. Who gave Himself for our sins so that He might love this word, rescue us. If your translation says deliver, that's a good translation, but a better translation is rescue. He might rescue us from the present evil Age. The gospel is beautiful because, first and foremost, it deals with our sin. Grace is the, this is the means through which we have salvation. Peace is the result. And here is how it happens. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ did something. He gave Himself. He gave Himself for our sins. This is beautiful. Notice what Paul says. He didn't say he gave himself for your sins. He didn't say he gave himself for sins. He included himself as one who put Jesus on the cross. He gave himself for our sins. Did Paul crucify Christ? No. But it shows Paul's perspective and his perspective should be ours. You mean to tell me that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins? That's what I'm telling you. That's not what I'm telling you. That's what the Bible's telling you. Jerry Bridges says it like this. Our sin killed him and no amount of fixing or patching ourselves up can change that fact. We can't fix ourselves. Our sin is something so heinous in the eyes of a perfect God that he will not accept even from Adam and Eve's fig leaf religion. But look what he did. Christ died for our sins so that He might rescue us. Christ died for people, not possibilities. I hope we get that uh, in our minds and in our hearts. Christ died for people and not possibilities. Notice what it said. He rescued us. 
from this present evil age. He rescued you and I, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, He rescued you personally. He rescued you. It wasn't like a possibility and you, you were at, in class and it was an intellectual thing. And you're like, of all the religions in the world, I think I'll choose this one. Romans 5 says we were helpless, ungodly, sinful enemies. We were, Ephesians 2 says we were dead. And Jesus Christ rescued us. Think about it like this. My mother went home this week on the last day that she was here. We got an opportunity to go down the Colorado River. And I was in there with a pro. Wow. But I'm in there with my five-year-old son. And so I'm all... I know I'm with a pro, but should my son want to jump into the water, I want to be ready. Mentally. If my son would have fallen into the river, I would not have done this. Lawson, I want you to swim and just do a you know rainbow arms right there, cut through the water, breathe. I wouldn't sit there and give him swimming lessons from the rafts. I would jump in and put my life on the line for that little boy. And Jesus did that for enemies, not necessarily for family. What he did created family, but he did it for enemies. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us. He pulled us out of the life we were living. And he's going to pull us out of this present evil age. That implies that there's a future righteous age. And so even in this present evil age, we, by the power of the gospel, can make progress towards becoming just like what Christ wants us to be. And implied is there's a future coming where there'll be greater things. Future righteous age. There'll be an age, you mean to tell me, there'll be an age when the joy and the peace and the serenity of vacations never comes to an end? Yes. You mean to tell me there'll be a time where there'll be a place where I don't have to worry about my mother or my wife or my children passing away? Yes. It's coming. Until then, He has rescued us, He is presently rescuing us, and He will rescue us. And where does this come from? The very next verse. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Or forevermore. Amen. Literally, from age to age to age. It's all according to God's plan. All according to God's plan. The end of verse 4. According to the will of our God and Father. If you notice this, look in verse 1. It says, "From through Jesus Christ and God the Father. In verse 3 and verse 4 it says, God our Father. So which is it? Is it God the Father or is it God our Father? Yes. This is as much theological as it is personal. God the Father is yours and He's my Father. And last week I heard there was a delightful time of having some fathers up here. If you're in here and you are a father, you and I have high calling, a high standard to live up to. Amen? To God be Father. And He's also our Father. Right? He's our Father. He leads us. He provides for us. He protects us. He sacrifices for us. He enters into our world. That is God the Father. That is the person. And the origin, it was according to God's will. According to the will of God our Father. 
Ephesians 1 said he decided this before he even created the world. John 10, and we sang it here, nothing can take his love away from us. John 10 tells us that nothing, no one, not even yourself, can jump out. If you're in God's hand, nobody can snatch him out of his hand. Nobody. Nothing can thwart God's plan. That should give you and I, as we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school today, just seeing how meticulously and perfect God works out His divine plan. That should give you and I great comfort. That He rescued us from our sins and He'll rescue us from this present evil age all according to God's plan. Yeah, but Judd, I'm going through this in my life and this in my marriage and this in my finances, this in in school and this in the team and this in coaching this and this and that. I know. And He'll rescue us. And He'll give you the power to make progress in it. That's what this book is about. The origin? God. The person? He's our Father. The reason? You go back up and look at verse 3. Grace. You mean, I don't have to do anything? No. You mean, but all these other religions are saying that you need to attend church a certain amount of time and you've got to wear this and you've got to read that. and Yes, and those are... Works-based churches. I don't have to do anything. Well, you do. Sin. And all of us have done that. Probably today already. Sin. That's, that's your work in this. His work was to save you from your sin. But what about all those other commands in Scripture? Great question. Those spring from a heart that's been changed by grace. And so again, it's not... If I obey, then God will love me. Switch it. God loves me. God loved me enough to send His Son, Jesus, His Son, to die on a cross for me. God loves me. I want to obey. It's a different paradigm. To the end of all of this, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. And you know what amen means? Amen means, it's one of those words from the Old Testament that's transferred straight to the New. Chamein, it means true. So Paul says basically this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen, or true. It is the truth. It is the truth. And that's all we are wanting to declare to the world. This is the truth. Notice there are no commands here. Paul just wants us to be amazed. He just wants us to be amazed by grace. He wants us to be overwhelmed by what God has done for us. Now, if you're a believer, what God is doing in you, and even more so if you are saved and you see that God's working in you, what God can do through you. For the world. Now, you've got your Bibles. It's not up on the overhead, but just listen to this. So if you've been reading through your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're like, wow. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. You're like, this is great. I like this Paul guy. Because he began Romans with, with this big introduction. And then he said, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And then in 1 Corinthians. He did the same thing. I mean, this Paul guy's a nice guy. He's always beginning every letter with just these thank yous. In Corinthians, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and those who have been sanctified, I thank my God always concerning you. 
And then to the second letter of the Corinthians, he begins with a blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. You're like, I like this guy. If you were to go read on in Ephesians right after this, same thing, another blessing. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You mean I don't need anything? No. Nothing? Not according to the Scripture. And Philippians. You just keep moving on. You're like, this Paul's great. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. The Colossians at Colossae. They were like, man, this, is, this guy's wonderful. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you. But here in Galatia, to the churches of Galatia. Uh, Paul doesn't begin with such pleasantries. Look what he says. I am amazed. I like what the ESV says. I'm astonished. I am flabbergasted that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we preach to you, he is to be accursed. He is to be accursed. He's an anathema. As we have said before, so I say again, now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you received, he is to be accursed. Paul is astonished. He's amazed. Because he had just planted these churches, he had just poured into them, and he had gone away for a little while, and all of a sudden, they're now following false gospels. And he's flabbergasted. He's literally irked. Like, agitated. Are we astonished at false gospels? Do we get irked by them? Do they bother us? Or do we just kind of go, and we just kind of overlook it? Do we even know what false gospels look like? Let's break down this paragraph. You can see what false gospels do. Number one, the people desert the true gospel for false gospels. Literally, they exchange. They say, I do not want this one. I want that one. I was able to buy for... The longest time I've been wanting a trucker's cap. Saw one the other day. Got it, but I made the exchange because I wanted a different color. So I took this one and gave it back, and that gave me a different one. But we can't do any exchanging with the gospel. It's not like switching out one size for another, one color for another. There's only one gospel. And look what it says there, which is really not another. And so what Paul's saying here in verse 7, which is really not another... He's saying there aren't really two Gospels of similar uh, credibility. So he's saying, which is really not another. So if I have an apple, he's saying, which is really not another apple. What he would be saying is, it's another, it's totally different. It's like apples and oranges. It's different. It's not the same. It's really not another that's credible and you can pick from that. It's totally different. False Gospels are different than the true Gospel. False Gospels are disturbing. Notice who he says this to in verse 7. 
Only they are, there are some who are disturbing you. So it wasn't just making Paul astonished. He was astonished that those who he had poured into were so quickly deserting the gospel. But it was disturbing those people. So leaders and the congregation were all irked by this same thing. They were being literally stirred up. Do we get stirred up by false gospels? Do we get agitated? Or are we just kind of writing them off as... Yeah, it'll just work itself out. God will make it all good in the end. Seems to me from this letter that we should get kind of excited when we hear uh, false gospels. Not excited like you do get excited for the Broncos beginning spring camp or whatever, but excited like, oh, that really gets under my skin. That really doesn't make sense. And here's the key. Here's the key. Catch this. It's not because we want to debate theology. Amen? We're not here just to debate theology, but we care for souls going to hell. Yes, that's why we do it. That's why I do it. That's why I even started reading. I just don't want my friends, my family, and everybody, anyone I know to go to hell based on something false. Have you ever been snubbed? And you're like, I didn't even know that. That's what I don't want to happen to millions of people. Yea, thousands in this valley who have bought into false gospels. They distort the truth. False Gospels distort the true Gospel, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want to hear about a distortion that happened to me just last week? So we're coming home. We're in uh, Los Angeles. And my mother had allowed us to use her little uh, Garmin thing. You stick it on the window and she talks to you and tells you to turn left here, veer right there. You put it up there and you don't, you don't, I, you don't even have to drive. You just sit back. Actually, you do. But it has this little thing on there in the corner where, where my mom was just, you know, I'm so impressed with this thing. She would show me, see, we're going to have to veer left in two miles, whatever. So I was playing the little game with her because she, it was sitting there. And I said, Mother, in two miles, I'm going to veer left. Okay? So it's me, my wife, my mom's right behind me. In her mind, on accident, the distortion came. And she heard, in two miles, you want a beer in your lap? And I was like, where did you get that? Where did you? I'm driving in L.A. and I'm looking. I'm like, I got to keep my eyes on the road. But where did you get beer and lap from beer to the left? A distortion of the truth. I laughed. We giggled for about five minutes. I said, I, I told Ashley, write that down. This is good for Galatians. Write that down. Somewhere it got distorted from the front seat to the middle seat. It got distorted on accident. But here they're doing it on purpose. They're disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. They're saying, no, it's not really about grace alone. It's Jesus plus. It's not about trusting in Christ alone, by faith alone, and grace alone of a sovereign God who called you out of the darkness. It's, 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 you know, Jesus is a part of it, but there's these other things you have to do. So much so in some Christian cults, they actually reverse it in their Bibles First, no, Second Nephi 25.25, they say, work, 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 and then comes grace. And that's what I show my Mormon friends. I say, can I see your Bible? Can you, can you whip that out for me? Your Bible, your uh, Book of Mormon. Let, let's turn to Second Nephi 25. Let just, it, it says, work, 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 and then comes grace. That's really weird because the Bible I'm reading, which you try to pick up, it, it says, for by grace alone, through faith alone, that you're saved in Christ alone. And then you do works. You, you seem to be 
reversing it. That's what we mean by distortions of the truth. And Paul, we see in 8 and 9, didn't pull any punches here. He was not kind in his introduction like I read to you in all these other introductions. He said, if myself or an angel. Basically, he's saying, if a, if a credible Jew or an angel, or in our day and age, if the dude with the Ph.D., like five Ph.D.s from Harvard, if they're preaching to you a false gospel, they're to be denounced, an anathema, accursed, damned, because they're not preaching the truth. So what are some false gospels today? I'm just going to break them down into two categories. These are, these are legitimate false gospels today. I hope you see the relevance of these. I'll just begin with the most popular ones. Psychology. Self-esteem. If I could just build my kids' self-esteem, they would not have any problems anymore. The problem is we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Psychology is not the Savior. Okay, here's another big one. Sociology, the government. The problem is laws, if all we do is we just get the right laws in place, society will correct itself. Okay, I don't even need to get political. Just look at it. You've had Republicans in office and you've had Democrats in office. Our society's not getting better. Here's another false gospel. This is one that could... This one, probably, I'll give you one first that won't creep into the church. Asceticism. You're just so bad, you're going to go punish yourself. I did this wrong, so I'm going to go punish myself to be get better. If I, I know I did wrong, but if I punish myself, who becomes the Savior? You become your Savior. That's asceticism. But here are the ones that creep in to the church. Uh, moralism. If I'm good, God will accept me. Really? How good do you have to be? Jesus said you have to be as good as perfect. Or how about hedonism? Emotionalism? Religion and, and morals, they just enslave you. We, we've got to be free to express ourselves and, and to just do what we feel is most appropriate. Those are false gospels. And then, there, then we, we mask that with religion. And so you have world religions. You have Islam. It's a false gospel. Follow the five pillars. Do this. And you'll get all these things in this weird heaven that's coming for really male-centered only. Or Buddhism. Those are two big ones. And you could go down all the isms. Christian cults. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc. are false gospels. What scares me the most are the Latter-day Saints. I'm calling them out. I, I know from the pulpit I'm saying it. And I have Mormon friends that I pray for. But they are not true Christians. And some of you might not like it that I said that. But that's what we have to say. Because Paul would want me to say it. Jesus would want me to say it. Like that today. Mormons aren't true. What's scary is they often live more moral lives than some Christians. But again, I tell you, they're working their way to heaven. And they're not going to get there. There's only one way to heaven. Liberalism. This is what can happen to a church. We start denying, well, the Bible's really... 
yeah, who, I mean, it's got to have some errors in it. It's so old. I mean, and then the numbers, sometimes we get our numbers off. And, and Paul, he and Jesus, uh, he, they don't seem to be like on the same page. And so we'd start saying, you know what, I can't really trust this. And this is what many churches do. They shut this. And they put it down here. And they say, well, let me give you 17 things on how to make your marriage better. Let me give you 32 ways to change your kid's life. Here's 15 ways to have better sex. That's what they do. And they get tired of the pulpit. They move it to the side. They start pulling in cars, beds, coming in on horses. Because the people need to be entertained. And I can juggle. Oh, yeah. I just thought of this. You know, you just get up here and you do that. People are like, wowzers. Did you see him throw those apples up? That's a great pastor. And they woo you. Or how about legalism? Seeking to obtain forgiveness from God or acceptance by God through obedience to God. That's a scary one. Performance-based, achievement-oriented people, Americans, like to earn things. And we like to earn our righteousness with God. And Paul says, no, no that's, that's a distortion. See, we humans, all humans, not just Americans, have a tendency to want to be our own saviors. And we do a great job of proclaiming a message of self-salvation, man-made standards with man's power for man's approval and man's glory. They either say Christ plus, or we're going to say Christ, yes, minus. Yeah, it's just me and Jesus. Who who says we have to go to church? I mean, really? Well, the New Testament does. So we start adding to Jesus or taking away from Jesus. Biblical Christianity says, no, no, no. It is just Jesus. And when you get Jesus, all these other things fall into place. See, we're not really... False Gospels and the true Gospels, world religions and Christianity, nobody is trying to solve different problems. We're just going about them vastly different ways. So if you notice at the end of 7 there, it said they distort the Gospel of Christ. With many competing voices, Paul wanted to convince the Galatians in no uncertain terms of the true Gospel. And so, we're going to look at the Gospel today. I have a chart up here. This is what we're teaching our middle school students. Six words. God, our sin, pain, everyone, life. I learned it. Evangelism, explosion, God, man, sin, Christ, faith. There's different ways, but this is the one we're going to highlight today. Number one, God created and rules everything. Amen? There is a God who exists, and He created the world, and He rules everything. That's where atheism would come in. They would say, well, there's no, we can't really prove there's a God. I don't believe there's a God, which is... Really the most, it's the most far-fetched of all positions to hold because no good, honest atheist would say they've looked under every rock and are know for certain that there is not some world system out there that they don't know about. So most people, if they're completely intellectually honest, should be, if they're not Christian, agnostic. Because there is a God who created the world and He is not us. Patrick Molloy says this, There is a God who you want. And there is a God who is. They are not the same. The turning point in your life will be when you stop seeking the God you want and start seeking the God who is. 
And that is the God who is the God of the Bible. And we know from Genesis 3, all things were perfect up until 3, and then the snake slid in, which we can't quite grasp it because we don't see snakes with feet, but we trust that that's what happened. And sin came into the world, and that sin was passed on from Adam and Eve to all of us, Romans 5. Our sin separates us from God. Separates us not just physically, but in a relationship with Him. And if we've come to know Christ post the cross, our sin separates us with fellowship with Him. And we all sin. Not a lot of pastors want to talk about that. But I'm not a lot of pastors. We're all sinners. All of us. We all have issues we're working through. For some of us, you see it more than others. But every single person in this room, First John would say, if you have no sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That we all sin. We sin in thought. We sin in word. We sin in deed. And our sin separates us from Him, but sin cannot be removed by good works or religious activity. It can't be washed away by good works. That's why we sang purposefully and we will sing again nothing but the blood of Jesus. You mean if I go to church for a full six weeks, God isn't impressed? You mean if I get up and I read through my Bible in a year and I follow that little reading plan and check off the boxes, God isn't impressed? No. Will He be pleased if you're doing it from right heart motives? Absolutely. Will your life be changed if you're doing it from right heart motives? You betcha. But to do that and say, man, I try this this week with one of your neighbors or friends. If you were to die tonight, would you know for certain you'd go to heaven? They'd go, I don't, they'll either say, I don't know, or hope so. You know, I've never killed anyone. I've only stolen a piece of gum. We start to then kind of, I'm not as bad as him. Sin cannot be removed by good works or religious activity. So, paying the price for sin, Jesus Christ died and rose again. Christ came. That was his whole mission in life. He didn't come and decide like halfway through, you know what, I think I'll die on the cross for people's sins. He came. He, he was born King of Kings. He knew from then he would die for our sins. He had to pay the price. Only God can satisfy God. And only man should die for man's sins. So what do you need? You need a God-man, Jesus. You mean to tell me he's 100% God and 100% man? That's what the Bible says. And I'm sticking to it. Well, how can that be? I don't know. Physically. I don't know. You like that answer from a pastor with a THM? Well, how do you tell me Jesus is 100% I just It's what the Bible says. So... He came and he had to die. He couldn't just he couldn't just do uh, good works. He had to die in our place. And God saw that his death was perfect. So we go back. God, the father who raised him from the dead. How crazy was that to send your own son to die for enemies? And you see, it was perfect because you knew it would be perfect because he was always in perfect obedience. And you raise him from the dead by the power of the Spirit. Thus, E, everyone who believes in Christ has eternal life. 
By faith alone in Christ alone, anyone and everyone who believes in Him can be reconciled to God and find forgiveness for their sins. If you're trying to work and become a better husband or become a better worker or become a better mom or become a better whatever, and you're going to work for it and you're thinking, I'll do all this and then God will accept me, please stop today. Come see me. Come see any one of the elders. Come see anybody here and say, I've been going about this all wrong. I'm trying to be good. I am no good. But God loved me enough to die for me and therefore infuses life in me. And then I can by His grace and through the power of the Spirit, be who He intended me to be. Great quote. The irony of surrender is that it leads not to defeat, but to victory when it comes to Jesus. And finally, life eternal begins now. And for those of you who are here, beloved, you who are Christians, the Gospel is as much for you as it is for the unbeliever. By Christ alone, by faith alone and Christ alone, we live. He enables us. First Thessalonians two thirteen, or First Thessalonians um, three, eleven and twelve. We're called to love. He causes us to love. We're called to believe. And you heard it two weeks ago. Help my unbelief. Jesus, help my unbelief. When I am approaching this situation and I'm not thinking rightly, help me to see the bigger picture. Help me to believe. Then you can really live free. Free in my marriage. And that doesn't mean I don't have boundaries within my marriage, but in that marriage I have boundless freedom to present her holy and blameless to Jesus Christ. And you're saying, I can't do it, neither can I. That's why we have to hit our knees every single day. God, help me today. Help me today to be a good husband, a good daddy, a good pastor, a good man. Well, what about tomorrow? Same deal. God, help me Today, to be a good husband, a good daddy, a good neighbor, good pastor. I can't do it. I got to get my situation right with my finances. I got to get a situation right with my marriage. I got a situation right with my kids. Understand the gospel. Jesus Christ died and empowers you to live out the Christian life. You can't do it on your own. Well, what if my job situation is horrible? So is Jesus' job situation. What if my relationship with my neighbors, they're kind of antagonistic towards me, etc. So is Jesus. What if I doubt? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Just go to Jesus. And He immediately did what He was supposed to do. Does that mean coming to know Jesus will never be any doubts? No. What it means is we don't trust in ourselves. It's not the amount of faith we have. It's the object of our faith. The Lord Jesus Christ. You have a... What did He say in the Gospels? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So we're not only to be amazed by grace, we're to be astonished by false Gospels. And if... Tim Keller says, if we love like Paul did, we'll understand why he wrote as he did and be grateful that he did. Amen? There's no other gospel out there that is true but that one right there. And when we understand that, especially for us who have known the Lord Jesus a long time, we'll see that that gospel power in Christ alone, by faith alone, 
will allow us to live our lives as He intended. We are more sinful than we ever realize. We're to be brought lower than we think because we think more highly of ourselves than what we are. But we are more loved than we can ever imagine. Gentlemen, ladies, if you have children, I can just say, I can just talk, I can just say the name of your kids right now and you just, ooh, the deep love you have for your kids, right? You just love them. I see it in your eyes. I can say, Ethan, and you just, that's my boy. That's how God loves you. Unimaginable. God the Father, God our Father, God our Father. And so we're raised higher than we ever think we could be because God's grace is truly amazing. So I'll end with this, just a summary. Last slide there. Paul and us. Paul was a man who had the right, he had the responsibility to speak the gospel and to live it out. Paul and us. Paul was a man under authority. I'm asking you today, do you submit to your authority? Society, family, church? Paul was a man with authority. Do we realize, Christians, the authority that Jesus Christ has instilled to us when he said, all authority has been given to me, go therefore. I own it all. I rule it all. I'm actually going to use you guys in this thing called kingdom life. Paul was living in community. All the brothers who are with me. Do we have an authentic, intimate relationship with one another? Or are they just surface enough to be kind but not kindred? Think about that. Do we really know one another? If not, why not? Let's get to know one another as a church. And Paul greeted his spiritual family with the glorious gospel. What comes out of our mouth most is what we care about most. The overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. So whatever we communicate the most, that's what we care about most. Paul talked all the time about the gospel. He gave us 13 letters. What are we talking about in our lives? When we get together at each everybody's houses, what fills our conversation? And finally... You'll see in this book, we're going to go tell this to the world. We're under authority. We're with authority. We're in community. We're for the gospel. We go to the world. So here's what I want us to do. Next slide. I want us this summer to do several things. Memorize the gospel. I've given you verses from Galatians here. Great verses. We'll hit on this one next week. This is the one I think uh, next week. I'm not trying to draw you back in, but listen to this verse. For I'm now seeking the favor of men or of God. If I'm still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I really believe this is one of the most prevalent sins of the Christian church. People pleasing. And we're going to talk about it next week. But but Paul says in 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. In 3, 13 and 14, this is the Gospel. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us through the Spirit. 4, 4 and 5, this is, if you ever want an Easter and a Christmas message, you're right here. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And 5, 1, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Don't use your freedom to uh, devour one another, but through faith, serve one another 
through service, love one another. In Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Two of my favorite verses. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we'll reap if we don't grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially those who are the household of faith. Memorize it. Pray it. Ask God, if you're a believer, if you're not a believer today, I would say, ask God to do a work in your heart that you would surrender to Christ. If you are a believer, ask God to empower you to live out the gospel in all areas of your life. Sing the gospel. That's what we're going to do after communion. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, that'll settle in. Of I now see what he was writing about so many years ago. Study the gospel. You've got all summer. If you're not in a, a reading plan right now, here's one. Take the book of Mark. Four chapters a day, four days a week. You can read through it ten times. Get to know Jesus. And finally, review the gospel. At the end of your day, with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, at the end of the week, review it. Did I live in the power of the gospel this week? And repent where you need to repent. Be encouraged where you need to be encouraged. Father, I just think of my kids and the love that I have for them that you uh, put into my heart when the moment they were born, even before they were born. And I can't even imagine how much love you have for your beloved children who follow Jesus. And you're not just a father of three, but you're a father of innumerable people. And you care for each and every individual in this room independently and uniquely. Yet you care for them through the one true unique gospel. I pray that we would, our hearts would be changed. That is my prayer. My heart, their hearts, all our hearts. That we would be a gospel-centered people. We would be formed by the good news. That we would achieve things in life based upon the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.